Let us open up to John eighteen thirty three to 38. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now... My kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. What is truth? It's quite an existential question for a Roman living in the first century. What is truth? But however unintentional it may have been in that moment, this Roman governor somehow managed to encapsulate the mantra of a philosophical movement that would take another 1,800 years to see the light of day. What is truth? It's the existential question of our time. It's one that many first-year philosophy students will smugly recite back to you when they're trying to prove you that God doesn't exist. It's the world we live in. Truth is seen as objective. We live in a world of fake news, photo filters, faces airbrushed or even surgically altered beyond recognition, a constant cycle of online conspiracy theories, anti-vax propaganda around COVID vaccine, damning allegations as in turn people are slandered even from beyond the grave. What is truth? It would seem that it's increasingly hard to know. And it's this simple yet loaded question that Pilate asks before Jesus' crucifixion. What is truth? It's fitting that Pilate, this powerful authoritarian, poses such a question, inextricably tied to existentialism, a movement which questions the very nature of truth. Because one of the founding fathers of the existentialism movement, Friedrich Nietzsche, a German philosopher, famously coined the phrase, God is dead. It's been almost 140 years since Nietzsche declared that God is dead. And yet today on Good Friday, for us who have a faith in Christ, these three words seem to hit just a little bit closer to home than usual. God is dead. It's what the disciples believed on Good Friday when they saw their leader's limp corpse taken down from that cross. It's what Mary, Jesus' own mother, believed as, he, as she saw her son breathe what she believed to be his last breath. It's what Pilate believed as he washed his hands and gave God over to the angry mob. It's what many in our society still believe today, that God is still dead. 
I want to call today's sermon, God is dead. Because that wasn't just a perceived reality for a few, for a moment. It's a belief that millions of Australians still choose as their truth today. So what did Nietzsche actually say? Because he was German, so he said, Gott ist tot. So let's read a short translation. He wrote, God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we confront ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Now, Nietzsche was obviously an atheist, So he wasn't saying that there was a God who had actually died, rather that our faith was dead, which is so much bleaker. He's not saying God was dead as much as God was never born, never existed. He was proclaiming there is no God. But... Unlike many evangelical atheists today, the death of God didn't exactly strike Nietzsche as a good thing. Even as an outspoken atheist, Nietzsche feared that this understanding of the world, a world that now had a Jesus-shaped hole in its side, would lead to pessimism or the advent of nihilism. He wrote in his book, The Will to Power, for some time now, our whole European culture the West, has been moving as toward a catastrophe. I don't know about you, but I can't help but think of the apocalyptic language used throughout the Old and New Testament, the unraveling of society as we spin further and further away from a living God. So Nietzsche died at the turn of the century in 1900, but it sounds like He would have by no means been surprised by the events that plagued Europe in this new godless 20th century. Communism, nationalism, Nazism, all these other ideologies that made their way across the continent in the wake of World War I. Desperate, hollow attempts to provide humanity with meaning and value, whether as a worker, as an Aryan, as someone on the right side of history. Any desperate attempt to replace this lost identity as a child of God, an unquenched thirst for meaning in a landscape where everyone is asking, what is truth? See, there isn't a sufficient worldview to back a lack of God. It only leaves us with a lack a lack of Christ, a lack of meaning, a lack of hope in something greater than ourselves and our own autonomy. It's why today we still see people come almost to the point of evangelical about their Marxism, atheism, some cherry-picked social justice issue. There's a burning fire within their souls to make the world better, but they just don't have an adequate answer. They're trying to catch living water with their bare hands because we were crafted by a God to go and make disciples of all nations. And when this incessant itch 
that has been sown into us can't be scratched. We question why we're dissatisfied. What's my purpose? Why am I here? We're a culture struggling with our own meaninglessness, a society spiraling into self-defeating nihilism. What is truth? I think this is how the disciples must have felt on that first Good Friday. Our God is dead. Our hope is dead. My truth is dead. You know, last Sunday we wrote our, our hopes and our praises and our declarations of faith on these palm leaves and lay them at the feet of Jesus. And today we see them littering the floor. And you might not be able to help but think, where are you, God? Where are you in my pain, in my suffering, in my dashed hopes, in my failed business, in my broken marriage, in my hollow relationships, in my physical suffering? Where are you? Check the tomb. Because a stone may still be covering that tomb right now. But we all know what comes on Sunday. Life. After death, hope. After disappointment. Love after heartache, forgiveness after transgressions, Jesus after the cross, who through his death and resurrection made a way for us to have purpose, to have truth, to have life and life in abundance. I might invite the band back up. The French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, who was Nietzsche's contemporary, wrote, life begins on the other side of despair. Jesus declares in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Check the tomb. These leaves don't curl up and die today. These leaves are covered with the blood of Jesus. These leaves cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Because if we stop crying out, the rocks will in our place. The kingdom of God is coming. Can you feel it? The kingdom of God is coming on the clouds with fire. Check the tomb. Because Jesus brings restoration. Jesus brings truth. Jesus brings life in a way that the disciples never could have comprehended or imagined or dared dream. Check the tomb. Come back this Sunday and check the tomb. Because Jesus is doing something in the ashes. Check the tomb.